Hi, my name is Ken Heidebrook. My heart's desire here at Hanging On His Words is to spread the entirety of the gospel message to whoever will hear it and to serve my Creator by helping people learn how to be obediently in covenant with Him. Hanging On His Words is a ministry that not only teaches others how to run this faith race, but does so through compelling video and musical content. If you are someone that has personally been blessed by my music or video teachings or both, please consider contributing to my efforts. My goals are to step up my music and video production value, and more importantly, to create content on a more frequent and full-time basis. This is where you, you, yes, you, my patrons can make this possible. Whether your support is financial or through prayers and encouragement, I just wanted to say thank you very much. Hey, welcome to Hang On His Words. My name is Ken Heibrecht, and you're watching Honor of Kings season number three, episode six. We want to thank you so much for joining us once again. If you're new here, thank you for joining us. We have a couple other seasons that we've done over on Sean's channel, Kingdom in Context, that you can catch up on. We've done several awesome books, and uh, it's a show that Sean and I love to do, and we just thank you so much for joining us. For those who are familiar with what we do and have joined us over times past. Thank you for joining us again. We appreciate you. And as always, I have my awesome friend and brother in the Messiah, Sean Griffin. How you doing, brother? Good. Hey, Ken. What's up? Glad to be back this week for episode six. We get to look at a fun book this week. Yes, we've we've changed things up again. That's what we do around here. I think it's good. It's good to stay in some books for a certain length of time, but I think it's also smart to to change things up and, and try new flavors so today we're going to be looking at the book of bell and the dragon or bale and the dragon depending on which translation you are familiar with and this is a really fascinating book but before we get started i just want to acknowledge some people that are in our chat here and just say hello to you guys thank you so much for joining david Shear, brother thank you for joining us always you're you're faithful to both hanging on his words and kingdom in context in the chat and we appreciate Thing that you do as a modder. Shalom. Shalom to you as well, man. Early Hancom, brother. Thanks for joining us. Vicky F. Shalom, sister. Thank you for joining us again. I know you were there last week too. Thank you so much for joining us. Sharon Small, sister. How are you doing? Say hello to Ken for me. We, we love you guys. We appreciate everything that you guys do. I hope you're doing well. Who else we have? Mr. Bear. Shalom, brother. How you doing? Ark Builders, CCMC. Andrew, how you doing, brother? Thanks for joining us. Miss Linda Carter, hello. Thanks for joining us this evening. We appreciate you guys stopping by. Latoya Christie. Shalom, sister. So, Sean, just I feel like we need to do this at the beginning of every episode. What is Honor of Kings? You want to tell this amazing audience of ours what it is we do here at Honor of Kings? Yeah, here this whole premise of this show is that we actually look at some of these books that were either used to be in the canons that we that we read as our Bible, or uh, they were never put in the canons that we have in America, but were put in other canons around the world. So we take a look at some of these books. Many times these books are referred to as apocryphal or pseudepigraphal or deuterocanonical, excuse me, deuterocanonical, but actually they used to be in a lot of canons. They used to be 
in a lot of Bibles, and um, some of them still are to this day. Just depends on which country you live in. And we are actually, for the for the sake of you know the North American hemisphere, <laughs> for the sake of the of you know the West quote unquote Western world that actually um, has what we consider the American canon of 66, the one that's most prevalent over the last 120 years. We're at, what we're doing is we're taking these apocryphal books, these books that uh, either were hidden, removed, were never included, and we try to figure out why, and we try to compare them to the canon of 66 that we study here in America and see if the theology lines up. So that's what you get to watch us do live. Exactly. Exactly. And and from what I have been told, it's been helping people quite a bit in their journey uh, to discovery of new material that they've never even knew existed. So it's it's been a blessing to us for sure. And, and hopefully to others as well. I know, Sean, that when I was uh, probably mid teens, my good friend and I, we decided to just randomly go to a Catholic church service to mass. And uh, we were like, let's just see what this is about, right? We grew up in our Protestant churches and we were at a point in our walk where we were like, let's let's just look around a little bit, see what else is out there and how they're doing things, right? So we went into a Catholic church and I remember um, nearing the end of the service, the, this woman was sitting beside me and she kept glancing over several times during the service at my Bible. And I was like, what? what is it? Have you, have you, is this foreign to you? <laughs> have you never seen a Bible? So I asked her, I said, hi, miss, uh, is there something I can help you with? Like I've noticed you were, you've been looking over in this direction. And she said, what kind of Bible is that young man? And I said, well, here, you can take a look. And it was obviously, it was a Protestant, you know, 66 book only Bible. And she's skimming through it real quick. And she says, Sonny, don't you know that there's more books to the Bible than these ones? And I said, huh? No, there's not. And she said, yes, there is. And I remember from that moment on, I was like intrigued with this, but I never fully investigated it until many years later when I actually started to care about my faith and, and really wanted to investigate why I believed what I believe. So I just, I recall that conversation many, many years ago. And it just so happens that this particular book, Bell and the Dragon, is in the Catholic canon mm -hmm. and, uh, it, and other canons as well. Mm -hmm. But it's a, it's a fascinating book. If you guys haven't read it, it's very, very short. We're going to get through it. In, in its entirety in this episode. And uh, now I feel I should jump in real quick for the audience, just in case it's the first time to see us where we don't promote Catholicism, because if anyone has actually grew up in Catholic church, they realize they know that there's they're <laughs> they're not really encouraged to actually know and read the Bible. There's taught like the catechism and all these other things, the Vatican writings. And so there's like all this other traditions of men that they're taught, but many of them in my whole life, I've never met one person, one person that said they grew up in Catholicism that still read their Bible and comprehended it and understood it to any degree. In fact, yeah. they usually went to church because it was expected of them because of their family, that it was their tradition. And then the other 95% of Catholics that I met hated church and hated God because of Catholicism. So we're not, we're not actually promoting Catholicism in itself. Just saying that how ironic is it that their actual a collection of books they call scripture, which they don't actually encourage their congregants to read, is actually different from the Protestant canon because we had these two nefarious characters about 120 years ago that decided to publish new Bibles with missing 14 books, right? Yes, yes. Westcott and Hort. And it's not only them that stirred up commotion regarding what kind of books were going to be in what canon and whatnot, but Yes, they, they played an integral part for sure. And thank you for that clarification. Yes, I'm not promoting anything Roman Catholic at all. 
Um, and if there are Roman Catholics in our audience or watching, welcome. welcome. We are reading one of the books that are contained in your in your Bible, and we just uh, our desire here is to, you know, show you guys how amazing these books are and how they line up with the the Protestant canon of sixty six, and they should be included in scriptures. So. With further ado, actually, before we get there, I, I wanted to just say something to a brother real quick, okay, Sean? Sure. Mr. Daniel Heck. He's a good brother of mine. He's going to be uh, doing some drum tracking for my new album, Mountains Into the Sea. They're ha I'm having a new album, hopefully coming out. It was supposed to be out later this year. It's probably going to be earlier next year. But brother Daniel is uh, someone who supports this ministry here, hanging on his words. And he supplies me with my cool hat that I've been asked about. The, the, the earth and then the beef that are the earth and the flat sign after it and he's also sent me a shirt it's the same thing nice it's it's really cool apparel in my opinion and so if, for those who who want to be um you know supportive of other brothers in this in this uh family this community that we all exist in you can jump over to his webpage because i don't sell this i've been asked hey can i get that hat i don't see it on your website i don't actually sell this so I'm going to screen share real quick and uh, just show you his website. It's the Breakers Decree. Sean, can you see this? Yes. Okay. So it's called the Breakers Decree, brkrapparel.bigcartel.com. And he's got some cool stuff. He's got some really cool stuff. I mean, I've got that shirt right there. I've got that hat straight nice. out of Sheol. He sent nice. me that one too. It's right. So... I have to get some of this. Exactly. <laughs> so enough of that. <laughs> or is it? And Ken, is there going to be a link in the description? Um, I could probably put one in. Upload the show. Yeah. Yeah. We do it after yeah. the show, maybe. Cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Cool. Cool. All right. So, do you what do you in? think? Yeah, let's do it. All right, Bell and the Dragon, guys. This is a, a unique book. Who wants first? You want first chapter, or for, it's not really. There's only just one big chapter, basically. But you want the first uh, slide? Sure, I can do the first slide. Okay. Yeah. All right. And King Astyagus was gathered to his fathers, and Cyrus of Persia received his kingdom. And Daniel conversed with the king and was honored above all his friends. Now the Babylonians had an idol called Bel, and they were spent upon him every day twelve great measures of fine sheep and six of wine and the king worshiped it and went daily to adore it but daniel worshiped his own god and the king said unto him why do not you worship bell who daniel answered and said because i may not worship idols made with hands but the living god who has created the heaven and the earth and has sovereignty over all flesh then said the king unto him think you not that bell is a living god see you not how much he eats and drinks every day <laughs> interesting <laughs> All right. So so sorry, I was just gonna say we got the first verse here highlighted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just trying to point out just for what we try to do here in Honor Kings is show you not only if a book if not only does do they line up theologically with what we have in in the Canon sixty six, but you know there's other ways to validate books, right? I mean, if it's uh, completely off historically, then you then you're gonna have an issue as well. And so this one actually val is there's tons of validation inside this book as you're gonna see throughout this episode. 
And one of those is Astyagus uh, was gathered to his fathers and Cyrus of Persia received his kingdom. Now that sounds very quaint, but it was actually a war. <laughs> and so this is what uh, I decided to pull. This is just from, you know, modern. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going ahead. Let me go to this one. And then we'll go back to the other slide about Daniel and explain yep. Daniel real quick. But basically, this is uh, just from actual history, uh, historical rec records and accounts. It says that Astyagus was the Akkadian Ishtumegu. He flourished around the 6th century BC, which is when Daniel was in Babylon. And the last king of the Median Empire, uh, reigning from about 585 to 550 BC. These ages are all approximate, according to historians. According to Herodotus, that's a Greek historian, The or excuse me, that's an Egyptian historian, uh, but he was from Greece. The Achaemenian Cyrus the Great was Astyagus' grandson through his daughter Mandane, but this relationship is probably legendary. That's one theory. Uh, another theory is according to Babylonian inscriptions, Cyrus, king of Anshan in southwest Iran, he began war against Astyagus in 553 BC. And in 550, the Median troops rebelled and Astyagus was taken prisoner, meaning Cyrus won. So then Cyrus occupied and plundered Ecbatana, the Median capital. A somewhat different account of these events is given by the Greek writer Cestius. So, you know, this is something we've already read about Octopatana when we covered last year's Robert book Tobit. of Tobit. Yep. Yeah, and this is actually one of the cities that Tobit visited when he was in exile from the Assyrian kings about 100 years before Daniel's life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating how all these books intertwine historically. All right, we yeah. see all these different empires kind of intermingling within the narrative of certain books and and it's super important in my opinion if you want to keep up with the ever confusing timeline of empires and nations and and you know even israelite history then you, you're gonna have to have more information and unfortunately we've we've been sold this bill of lies in my opinion that there's only a select few books that we can gather information from when we look at some of these other books that have been removed Lo and behold, what do we have? We have more clarity regarding this history. And so, yeah, very important. Yeah, in fact, we have a, a quick question. Arc Builder CCMC is asking, where do you guys find these books? And I'm guessing he's asking us this question. And so this to me is like Bell and the Dragon used to be in our Bibles until about the 1880s. And it was in a lot of KJVs in the history. And so you can actually go and look at collectible KJVs and still find this book in the Bible as well as Catholic Bibles as well. So this isn't like a, we've, I know we reviewed some books that weren't put in the Catholic canon or the American canon, like the book of Enoch and the book of Jubilees. They're put in the, the Oriental and the Eastern Orthodox canons. And also the, um, like the book, the Apocalypse of Abraham we did in season one, that wasn't put in very many canons either. That was only put in the um, Armenian canon in the 1656. So we basically do research is, is part of your answer, brother. <laughs> we, we actually put time in to bring you this information and we do research on, on where, which canons had these books and how far back, you know, we can find any kind of scholarship dating these books. And then, uh, but most, but this particular book we're looking at today is you can find it. Uh, it used to be in the American Bible. It was taken out and it, it's currently still in the Catholic Bible. Yeah. Absolutely. And brother Andrew, that's who's asking that question. I know he's familiar with books like Enoch, Jasher, Jubilees, because he mentions a lot of that stuff in his book that he sent me so kindly not too long ago, which I am reading, brother. I'm I'm nearly done the sixth chapter that you want me to review. So I'll get back to you, I promise. <laughs> I'm not I'm not done. I've gone to like the first two pages. I've just been so busy with Lighthouse. I apologize. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So th thanks for that history lesson, Sean. And it is important. It's very important that we know this stuff because the, unfortunately, um, people who are in opposition to anything biblical like to use history as, you know, 
ammo uh, you know to disprove that the historical timeline in the bible is incorrect and other uh, writings don't corroborate with them therefore it's not true and it's all fables jewish fables and all this other stuff right so we need to take this stuff seriously as as bible students and scholars and people who, who want to be able to combat the enemy's lies through people like uh secularists and atheists that's right and so another point of validation that we see in this very first first six verses is daniel himself and actually you doing research for this episode you actually found a pretty cool nugget of information didn't you ken I did. I did, actually. And if you want to go to that slide, thank you, sir. So, brothers and sisters, we have what a little snippet out of the Lexingham English Septuagint. And it actually differs ever so slightly within the first two verses that we just read. Um, I believe that was out of the Brenton's, was it, Sean? Yeah. Well, I didn't actually. That was just out of the traditional um, uh, traditional. Greek. I don't know if it was Brenton's or not, because it was okay. like, the one I found was a mixture of Old English, and I kind of changed some of the Old English to right. New English for reading. Okay. So. so basically what what we have here is a difference in the first two verses, and I'll just read it real quick. From the prophecy of Habakkuk, the son of Joshua from the tribe of Levi. And then it says, a certain man was priest whose name was Daniel, the son of Abel, a confidant of the king of Babylon. So that is very, very different to what we just read in the other version in that we have here, apparently it's from the prophecy of Habakkuk. Now you may be asking, okay, well, what's the relevance here? Who cares? Brothers and sisters, uh, if you've you know watched Sean's channel, he's talked a lot about how Judaism through their corruption and years of tampering and tinkering with texts has a disdain towards Daniel. They won't say they have a disdain, but they will not admit him as a prophet. They don't recognize any of his writings, whether it be anything out of the book of Daniel, here, Bell and the Dragon, and actually there's a couple other books attributed to Daniel, the, uh, Susan, or Susanna. Susanna rather, and the Prayer of Azariah. They, they won't recognize any of those, and we're going to cover some of those in future episodes of the other two. But they don't recognize Daniel as a prophet, so therefore anything that's attributed to him or could be attributed to him is fiction and not history and not to be taken seriously. So what's interesting to me in the version I just read out of the Lexingham English Septuagint is that it says it's from the prophecy of Habakkuk and Habakkuk actually is a prophet that they recognize. Now, if you guys are interested, you can go do an easy search on, you know, the, um, the Jewish prophets that, Judaism believes are legitimate and there's about 48 49 of them Habakkuk makes their list now if we have Habakkuk here if this is true then we have Habakkuk connected directly to this very writing and therefore it would be odd for them not to admit that this is a legitimate source because of it being attributed to Habakkuk so it would make sense to me Sean if you're someone who doesn't like Daniel for whatever reason, they say apparently Judaism says that none of the prophecies in Daniel line up with other the other prophets, which is one of the reasons why they don't like him. I don't see that at all. I think Daniel completely lines up with the other prophets. Yeah, I mean, literally Cyrus is mentioned in Daniel, I think it's chapter 9 or 10, and also in Ezra chapter 3, and he's prophesied in Isaiah 44 and 45. It's, I mean, it's it's lunacy from Judaism trying to hide these ideas. Yes, and this and we're not saying this is exactly what they've done, but it doesn't surprise us, especially when you see that this particular version was using the old the Greek, Koine Greek version, 
And uh, just to clarify, Ken, just because we, I was going to ask you to explain this. The, you mean the version they see on screen, right? This version of the Septuagint? The one I just, I just read about yeah. how it's attributed to Habakkuk, and it even calls in verse 2, Daniel, a priest. Mm, we don't see that awesome. anywhere else. That's awesome, right? It is awesome. I mean, it corroborates with what Ezra says in Ezra chapter 8, verse 2, where there's a lineage of the priesthood directly linked to Daniel. Now you could just say, well, that's... It's just another Daniel. It's not this Daniel. Well, there's a direct link right here that Daniel was a priest, according to Habakkuk, who wrote this this book, apparently. So Yeah, let me go, let me actually pull this on screen real quick so they can see it as well. This is uh what we always try to do is just show you in the canon where these things might line up. And so this is right here is what you're talking about, right? That's right. Of the sons, and this is the son of Ithamar, Daniel, the sons of David, and Hattush. So you're saying this is this is the the Daniel that's being mentioned. Uh, that's now, right. I don't now just for the for the viewers' understanding, the Greek Septuagint it changes words. So what we we just saw from you know the the new the King, KJV was the Masoretic text from the Hebrew, but the son of a ball. I don't know what that looks like. Let me see if I can find that in the Britain Septuagint and see if it's. See if it's a name that might be similar, um, because the Greek once you transfer it to the Greek, it changes the names a lot. Sure. But the, the problem though is what what Ken's trying to actually explain to folks is that the the version he's he has found is a version of the Septuagint that uses that translates from the old Greek from the earliest manuscripts that they could have found, whereas uh, the 1850s Brenton Septuagint that you can find in most of your Bible software is pulled from some of the latter manuscripts of Septuagints, uh, which there's actually some Latin mixed in there as well, which I've been mm -hmm. finding. So it, it, some of the names sound and look a little different. And so that's... Yeah, and not, not only the Brentons, but also R.H. Charles's versions of the Apocrypha yeah. that he uses, which so happens mm -hmm. to be part of the uh, Septuagint as well, and the New English translation, which a lot of people are familiar with and, and you know cling to. It also doesn't use some of the older manuscripts from what I've been able to tell. So right. it's, it's fascinating nonetheless, but, uh, but yeah, so what we're seeing here in Ezra eight two is, is this idea of priests going back to Jerusalem and Daniel would have been sent back to Jerusalem. And we know as he was given a position of authority within the kingdom from Nebuchadnezzar as early on as Nebuchadnezzar through Darius, et cetera, et cetera, that he was a, a satrap and he was something, someone that could go around throughout his entire empire, which would include Judah at the time. Yeah. And, and so that's what makes sense that, that he's going back to mm -hmm. the, uh, the city of Judah there. We're actually going to, we're going to see some of this and, and, um, Daniel chapter, I think it's six, one where um, I actually have a slide later that we're going to get to that says that he, that Daniel flourished, not just through Nebuchadnezzar, but Darius and also Cyrus. So right. this he he had this kind of authority. He wasn't just like trapped in Babylon. Like he had free, you know, like the Southwest flight flight slogan. He's free to move about the country. So like he had this actual authority to actually move about the country. And this is uh, we're going to see that authority being tested in here in Bell and the Dragon as we keep reading. Right. And let's go back to it. I know we've we've diverted a bit, but I think it's important and and it's good stuff to chew on for those who are interested. So as we as we've set up um, this book, which is really cool, we're going to finish the rest of it. And hope that you, you stick around and join us right when we get back from break.
Adam and Eve introduced sin into the world, and their act removed our ability to walk around unrestricted. No need to worry, though. Hanging on his words has got you covered. Literally. Find a link in the video description. watching honor of kings we thank you so much for joining us and uh if you guys are interested in more episodes and for my channel sean's channel just what we're doing here at honor of kings if you want to see us grow at all please hit the like button subscribe if you haven't already done so go over to sean's channel do the same thing keep an eye out for lighthouse all these things guys just if you love this stuff support us at least by doing that we really appreciate it we see there's about 45 people watching in the chat right now or at least watching live. If you guys want to hit that that like button, please do so. So we're just gonna continue on through this book. There's about 46 verses, I think it was, in this in this short book, and we're gonna go through it right now. So here in verse seven, it says, "Then Daniel smiled and said, O King, be not deceived, for this is but clay within and brass without, and did never eat or drink anything." So the king was wroth and called for his priests and said unto them, "If you tell me not who this is that devours these expenses, you shall die." But if you can certify me that Bel devours, the, devours them, then Daniel shall die. For he has spoken blasphemy against Bel. And Daniel said unto the king, Let it be according to your word. Now the priests of Bel were threescore and ten, besides their wives and children. And the king went with Daniel into the temple of Bel. So Bel's priests said, Lo, we go out. But you, O king, set on the meat and make ready the wine. Shut the door, fasten and seal it with your own signet ring. And tomorrow when you come in and you find, you find not that hath eaten up all, we will suffer death, or else Daniel will suffer death, that speaks falsely against us. So it looks like, Ken, looks like we got a showdown. <laughs> yes, we do. Yeah. Yep. Um, so just for some clarity's sake, guys, the word here, Bell, is is just a rendition of Baal, and it all it means is, it's a title, actually, as mm -hmm. I'm sure some of you know that. But it just signifies uh, like lord or master. So it wasn't an actual name given to a god. It was just like a title, right? Just like we do with the Most High, with with Yahweh, we call him Most High. We call him Lord. We call him our God. All these things, right? These are titles. They, you know, these people did that stuff with their uh, stone and clay, bronze gods as well. And I think Sean, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, Marduk was was one of the more common gods that they had served within. Babylonia during this time, and they, and he just had a, a title, like I said, Bel or Baal. Yeah, absolutely. And this is something we see all throughout the scriptures. I mean, it's it's all over the place. Uh, the worship of the balls. I mean, it's uh, Isaiah forty two, Isaiah forty five, First Samuel chapter eight. There's a whole bunch of places where this is what the nations surrounding Israel were worshiping: were the balls, the Baals. Yeah, yeah. So we we also have this concept of priests, right? This isn't just a a uh, a Hebraic concept of having priests and a priesthood and all this stuff. Other nations had it as well, which um, that's a topic in and of itself, but part of their rulership, it was their authority leaders. Yeah, that's right. Right. So, and we have this King, which we're, we're assuming is Cyrus, um, confused about why Daniel isn't, you know, willing to bow the knee to this God and, and why he's, 
he's saying such negative things against him, right? It's this, this king is so confused. Yeah. He's like, why aren't you wearing this mask? I mean, uh, why aren't you bowing your knee to the bell? <laughs> you know? And so Daniel's like, cause this, this thing ain't real. It's just a statue. It's just made of clay. It's not, it doesn't actually eat and drink this food that you set out for it. And so Daniel had already had this, his own suspicions cause he's extremely smart. And he already, he already had his own suspicions that, um, there was some, you know, some, uh, some foolery going on, right? There was some deception that the the priests of Baal were actually perpetrating on King Cyrus. Right. And Daniel himself being a priest, he can he can see a phony priesthood when when he sees one, right? That's yeah, that's right. Guys that are just manipulating people for power, um, worshiping demons as opposed to Daniel, who is acting in righteousness, worshiping the one true God, Yahweh. So exactly. The same God that he worshiped under the rulership of other kings like darius and nebuchadnezzar who all understood that yahweh was the god of gods the the true god so it's daniel just has to keep putting his foot down with these these yeah. new rulers as they take over and <laughs> how interesting is this because at the very beginning it said that you know daniel uh had favor with cyrus right and he's like chilling and having a good time in favor with cyrus he's not even though he's not an actual persian and daniel wasn't a mede and daniel wasn't a babylonian or a chaldean he was a he was a conquered person from a different land that was a servant in the Babylonian Empire. And here the new king takes over. Usually they would just come in and slaughter all the old servants because you you could never trust the loyalty of them. But Daniel has made it through like a ridiculous amount of people. And just that we get in the book of Daniel and Ezra, uh, we see that you know, we got Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel lives through. Uh, we also have uh, Darius the first. But then there's also Ostiagus that we read about, and there's some other people, Xerxes and Artaxerxes already came and gone. And so, um, and now we're here at Cyrus. So this is like, Daniel is just, the father is protecting Daniel. Like you think him being thrown in the lion's den during the days of Darius was a big deal. Like he's literally walking with lion kings who are pagan kings and counseling them in the righteousness of Yahweh and God's protecting him through his whole life. Like this dude's a living testimony of living under constant persecution and the father coming through constantly. Exactly. And, yeah. and his unwavering ability to continue in the covenant, keeping the commandments, even in his dispersion. Yeah. So it's yeah. an amazing testimony and it should encourage us. So we'll continue going on here. I can read Sean. Sure. And they little regarded it. For under the table they had made a privy entrance, whereby they entered in continually and consumed those things. So when they were gone forth, the king set meats before Bel. Now Daniel had commanded his servants to bring ashes, and those they strewed throughout all the temple in the presence of the king alone. Then went out they, and shut the door, and sealed it with the king's signet, and so departed. Now in the night came the priests with their wives and children, so they were wont to do, and did eat and drink up all. In the morning time, the king arose and Daniel with him. And the king said, Daniel, are the seals whole? And he said, yes, O king, they be whole. And as soon as he had opened the door, the king looked upon the table and cried with loud voice, Great are you, O Bel, and with thee is no deceit at all. Then laughed Daniel and held the king that he should not go in and said, Behold now the pavement and mark well whose footsteps are these. And the king said, I see the footsteps of men, women, and children. And then the king was angry and took the priests with their wives and children who showed him the privy doors where they came in and consumed such things as were upon the table. Therefore, the king slew them and delivered Bel into Daniel's power, who destroyed him and his temple. And in that same place, there was a great dragon, which they of Babylon worshipped. And the king said unto Daniel, 
Will you also say this? That sorry, will you also say that this is of brass? Lo, he lives, he eats and drinks. Who can not say that he is no living God? Therefore worship him. Then said Daniel unto the king, I will worship the Lord my God, for he is the living God. But give me permission, O king, and I shall slay this dragon without sword or staff. The king said, I give you permission. Then Daniel took pitch and fat and hair and did seed them together and made lumps thereof. This he put in the dragon's mouth. And so the dragon burst in sunder. And Daniel said, Lo, these are the gods you worship? When they of Babylon heard that, they took great indignation and conspired against the king, saying, The king has become a Jew, and he has destroyed Bel, and he has slain the dragon, and put the priests to death. So they came to the king and said, Deliver us, Daniel, or else we will destroy you and your house. Now when the king saw that they pressed him sore, being constrained, he delivered Daniel unto them, who cast him into the lion's den, where he was six days. Ken, this is this is wild uh, because we are seeing not only is Daniel getting the opportunity to prove that you know these idols are nothing but just you know the the characteristic representation of demonic gods that do not have any actual power, but he's he actually is exacting Torah based judgment on these priests because of this showdown that happened and because of like this like Sherlock Holmes style detective you know trick that he pulled. Throwing the throwing the ashes upon the yeah. ground so he could see their footprints. You know, this is like the the beginning of of um, forensics, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's crazy. So, so he, yeah, he gets to kill. Like they get to put to death the priests because they were tricking and fooling King Cyrus, which you, that never goes well, no matter what the circumstances are. But then, the, what's interesting is this from Babylon, they heard about what happened and they're like, oh my gosh, that he's the king's becoming a Jew. Like, <laughs> how hilarious yep. is that? Very funny. Very, yeah. very funny because it's, it's like the people that they had already like conquered Judah and, and dispersed them and stuff. They, they were already familiar with um, the commandments of God and how, I mean, we see this in the book of Esther, right? We're assuming, Sean, that this is already after the book of Esther on the timeline right so they they have a history of these jews right and um the kings like i said earlier the kings seeing the almighty god for what he is and his commandments and his kingdom being better than what you know the, the current kingdoms and the, and the laws were of the land and then them making decrees about this is going to be the decree of the land and people were like we don't want to become jews like they just assumed that it was a jewish thing when it, it's it's the father's way of life <laughs> it's how we live right that's so right it's just funny it's it's a theme that we see often and this mention i'm glad you mentioned esther because that would be back during the reign of artaxerxes a couple kings back and because you know as hopefully if you're you're picking this up at this point that these pagan kingdoms always have changes of power because they're constantly turning on themselves and eating each other just as when we read with the historical accounts of Astyagus. While fighting with King Cyrus, the the Medes themselves turned on Astyagus and gave over power to Cyrus, basically. So, you know, this is what um, we see prophesied in the book of Daniel about Cyrus, Isaiah 44 and 45, that the, the father had intended for him to take over a whole bunch of kingdoms. Just like the prophet Jeremiah tells us the father had intended for Nebuchadnezzar to be his, his uh, useful agent to go out and, and exact punishment on these uh, nations that had afflicted Israel, basically. But yet at the same time, Israel paid a heavy price too for their rebellion. So this is 
this unique character that that Cyrus is being built up several kings after the days of Esther, who was under the rulership of Artaxerxes. And during the days of Artaxerxes, we have this unique piece of information given to us only in the Septuagint, chapter 8, verse 13 through 17, that tells us that this decree that Artaxerxes believed after after the whole plot of the book of Esther with Mordecai and Esther, and they, they discovered that Haman was trying to extinguish all the Jews throughout all the kingdom of Babylon. Um, Esther being one of them, which means now Artaxerxes is married to Esther. So then he sees a guy who's trying to plot to kill his wife, basically. Mm -hmm. So then that goes wrong. That goes bad for Haman. He gets killed, his whole family. Mordecai is made second in command and all the, all the, the whole empire of Babylon, just like Daniel was under Nebuchadnezzar. And so then a decree goes out that the Jews themselves can actually, no matter where they were, from India to Ethiopia, all 127 provinces, they could actually practice their faith. And as a result of it, people actually are becoming, quote-unquote, Jews. They're actually being converted. And this is what the Septuagint only tells you in uh, Esther chapter 8. So how interesting is it? Is that's the backdrop generationally for these other you know, people in Babylon that are hearing, oh my gosh, Cyrus is becoming a Jew too. You know, like they're, yeah. they're just, they're afraid because, you know, these are, these are, these people are ruled by demonic unclean spirits, right? So they're afraid mm -hmm. that their religion is going to be continually, uh, incrementally taken over by Yahweh because he's now, his people are dispersed into these nations. And since his behavior is logical and common sense and loving, people are attracted to it. You know, it's yeah. the goodness of God that draws people to repentance. Exactly. And it was part of Yahweh's judgment on Israel to in their dispersion have them hopefully bring in a bigger fold of people right the, the point That's was right. to while you're there yeah you're gonna have to be under these rules you're gonna have to be under the king, other kings that you're not used to but don't don't create issues while you're there right shed yeah. the light and and i'm gonna reap a bigger harvest and some people just refused to do that and it wasn't good for them others yeah. acquiesced to the ways they didn't compromise their faith however as we're as we're talking about here with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, you know, et al. And it works out rather well for them. And it it acts as a testimony to the nations to see that this God is Almighty God and He's someone that's worthy of being served, as opposed to these objects of stone, wood, and and brass and and stuff like that. So it's and fascinating how the Father works, man. Yeah, the Father even tried to give them this advice through Jeremiah in chapter 51, where he tells them to pray for the nation that they're going into captivity with because they're going to be there for 70 years minimum. So yeah. this is what we're seeing happen. That's the disposition. That's the mindset we see from Daniel as he goes through all these different rulers and he's given favor with every single ruler. And of course now, Ken, we see he's actually these, what's unique about this passage here is that those, these people from Babylon that heard and were afraid that Cyrus was being converted to a Jew, <laughs> which is hilarious because it's not technically just a Jew. It's someone that's actually being converted to acknowledging Yahweh's the most high and only God. And therefore you start, you know, you stop worshiping the false gods and start doing the commandments. And so this is interesting because we have in Isaiah 45, we have this idea of uh, the, you know, where a lot of translations believe that it's talking about uh, Cyrus, that he's the one that's being raised in righteousness. And so let me pull that up real quick for people to look at, if you don't mind, Ken. Yeah, do it. Do and it. this is ba basically, um, um, I think it's down here. Where'd it go? I'm sorry. 
This, there's a, this is the part that I was trying to study out and I was trying to figure out. I think it's only in the KJV, um, but it, it talks about how um, the person that, that, that this whole passage here in Isaiah 45, all right, is thus says the Lord to his anointed Cyrus. And that's interesting. And that's consistent in all the translations. Mm -hmm. Okay. But if you go down further, uh, I think it's verse 13 or 14. Yeah, here it is. 13. It says, I've raised him up in righteousness. I will direct all his ways. He will build my city. He shall let go my captives for not, not for price nor reward, says the Lord of hosts. So this is prophesying about the Cyrus character that Daniel's talking to right now, who just, Daniel just proved to him that Baal's nothing, you know, and then yep. also this, this dragon, uh, we're going to get to the dragon, I guess, in a minute as well. But, but now we got these antagonists, just like, you know, just like we see constantly going around, uh, in the new Testament, we have these antagonists from Babylon that have come up and now they, they don't like what they're hearing and seeing. And so they're trying to literally uh, coerce King Cyrus through threat. Mm -hmm. This is what's yeah. fascinating to me. Like why didn't King Cyrus just have these people put to death? Right. Well, you know? almost a coup, right? They came up to him yeah. and said, we're going to, we'll kill you. If you don't give yeah. us over to Daniel. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so they do get Daniel into their possession and they immediately throw him in the lion's den. Um, I, I, there's a comment right now. From Pixie Dixie, she says he got to visit the lions again. Yeah, Heart he's eyes. very familiar with those cats. Absolutely. Yeah, he, he, can you imagine him going back to Lions Den? Hey, boys, long time no see. I would imagine that he wouldn't be overly scared the second time around, knowing what happened previously. Right, but, you know, and you know. that's and that's something I guess to point out for the viewer that this is several like you know two three decades later. This is not the reign of Darius. This is the reign of Cyrus. So this isn't um, this isn't a you know a contradiction of any kind. This would be mm -hmm. two separate events that he's actually and and being thrown to the lions was like a regular thing. It wasn't like yeah, this was a common yeah a common act of, of death. Yeah, yeah. I think they fed lions. If I recall, they fed like two or three human beings a day to these lions. From yep. what I've what I've read, so yeah. So uh, do you want to? So this is the stuff that I kind of put together just for the viewer to look at to see that Isaiah forty five one. The Lord says to Cyrus, his anointed, whom I have taken by the right hand to subdue nations before him, to loose the loins of kings, to open doors before him so the gates will not be shut. This also lines up with Ezra chapter 1, 1 through 3. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put in a writing saying, Thus says Cyrus, the king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you, all his people, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who's in Jerusalem. And we also have this, this same concept with actual book of Daniel in chapter 10, verse 1. It mentions Daniel interacting and in having prophecy given to him during the time of Cyrus. And it says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar. And the message was true and one of great conflict, but he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. So this, these are all historical validations. Now, what's unique about this, Ken, is that Isaiah 45 was written about 120 years before Cyrus was born. Oh, okay. Right. That's, so here, interesting. this is where we have speculation from historians that someone like Daniel or maybe Ezra or Nehemiah uh, would have shown to Cyrus, hey, man, look what was written about you before you're born, literally named you. Wow. Yeah, that would be so, something, wouldn't it? For this extra motivation. So, the, you know, this this whole concept, like the, the title of this episode is, you know, did Daniel convert King Cyrus? 
Well, there would be a prophecy that you're reading about yourself that was written 100 years before you're born, and you and you already have came to power, and yet that's already part of the prophecy that's been fulfilled. And now, what would be the natural expectation of that person would be to honor and revere Yahweh because, like, he literally called you out before you're even born, and now you're already walking in what he said you was going to happen to you. So like it's a self-validating, like Cyrus can literally validate to him this himself because he's hanging out with a priest like Daniel who would know about the Isaiah prophecies. All right. And All right. He's, he's, a, he's a generation within the generation of Ezra, of Ezra chapter 1, 1 through 3, where he's making this proclamation honoring Yahweh of heaven. So mm-hmm. uh, it, to me, this is just fascinating. We've, and then, of course, we see just for, for other validation with the can of 66 uh, before we finish the, the bell and the dragon here. Daniel chapter 1, verse 21, it literally tells you in a summary statement that Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king, meaning that he actually was alive through Nebuchadnezzar and all the other rulers until we get to Cyrus. And now we're seeing the rest of the story pick up. And also in Daniel 6, 28, it says, so this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So there's added context to tell you not only did he live as someone that was in exile among foreign kings and prospered, throughout multiple kings, but once he got to Cyrus, he still lived and prospered in addition. And so it's just some unique stuff. This is actually, uh, Ken, real quick, oh. this is actually discovered in uh, in Iraq, and this is a cylinder seal of ancient uh, cuneiform. It's literally about uh, a decree made from King Cyrus. So we've got historical validation to the actual characters being mentioned in Bell and the Dragon. This supposedly was discovered in 1879. It's a clay cylinder seal that's been dated to the 6th century BC, which is exactly the time period of the story we're reading. It's discovered mm-hmm. in the ruins of Babylon in modern-day Iraq. Cyrus the Great, also called Cyrus the Elder or Cyrus II, was founder of the first Persian Empire, the Achaemenid Empire. Cyrus ruled over the Achaemenid Empire from 559 to 530 BC until the death at age 70, and etched into the object in Akkadian cuneiform is an account of the Persian king and his successful conquest of the Babylonian capital in 539 BC, which is where he, he took it over from Ostiagus. Mm-hmm. More importantly, the inscription states, Cyrus allowed groups of people to return to their homelands and to rebuild their holy city. It's crazy. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> and we got some archaeological validation pointing to the, the validity of these manuscripts, which we are reading thousands of years later. Isn't um, that crazy, brother? I love so, it. Do you want to do you want to pick up the next text? Yeah, sure, man. Yep. Okay. And in the den there were seven lions, and they had given them every day two carcasses. And, oh, okay, that's where I got that information from. Every day two carcasses and two sheep, which then were not given to them to the intent that they might devour Daniel. Now there was in Jewry, and we have brackets here. Some translations say Judea, a prophet called Habakkuk, who had made pottage and had broken bread in a bowl and was going into the field for to bring it to the reapers. But the angel of the Lord said unto Habakkuk, Go, carry the dinner that you have into Babylon unto Daniel, who is in the lion's den. And Habakkuk said, Lord, I never saw Babylon, neither do I know where the den is. Then the angel of the Lord took him by the crown, and bare him by the hair of his head, and through the vehemency of his spirit set him in Babylon over the den. And Habakkuk cried, saying, O Daniel, Daniel, take the dinner which God has sent you. Wow. Okay, so we have another really fascinating angelic interaction here. And you know, we've we've discussed angels in great detail before, but in, in like manner to how they operate up by the scruff of the head and away we go, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, like I don't know what that feels like. I don't know if Habakkuk had a lot, a lot of hair or maybe some big dreadlocks or something. I don't know, but yeah, he definitely, um, he definitely is basically being manhandled by this angel to be yeah. taken across country. And he's carrying food. How do you do that? You, like you're like whoa, like yeah. <laughs> trying to spill it along the way. <laughs> yeah, he's he's taking uh, some provisions, some necessary survival provisions to Daniel in the lion's den, yeah. which is crazy because it's like this means. Now Daniel is going to be eating that food in front of the lions, the hungry lions that yeah. are that are having to be a forced fast for seven days while Daniel just eats right in front of them, um, which is just more miraculous power to the you know to the father guarding the lions from eating Daniel. So I, I just think this is amazing that an angel has to get involved because now, as we read at the beginning here, we have Daniel, a priest, also being helped by another uh, another prophet of the tribe of Levi, right? Yep. And possibly the one who actually recorded this entire narrative that we're reading. Yeah. Which would, why he suddenly makes an appearance in this narrative. Right. Right. Yeah. Very, very fascinating brother. And uh, you know, some, some historians say that the reason why Bell and the dragon can't be legitimate and these historians lean towards Judaism. Unfortunately, right. they say that, well, this look at, we got another Daniel in the lion's den thing. Like this is just a copy of the previous one. Therefore, it didn't happen. It, it, it must just be, you know, a, a, a mock of, of the previous uh, narrative that we see in the book of Daniel. Why can't that happen two times, Sean? If that's a common way to, to rid someone, uh, yeah. you know, via capital punishment, how can, how can he can't have been thrown to the lions two times by two different rulers? I don't think yeah. that's a, you know, a contradiction in any way. Oh, are you there, brother? Sorry, guys. I don't know what happened. My my mic just went on mute. Um, I might have to change mics. It's been doing that. Yeah, you've muted yourself a few times. I've seen in other episodes you've done. <laughs> accidentally it's actually a short in the cord itself, so I don't, I'm not hitting any buttons. So, um, but basically, um, I mean, that's is like seems to be a very common punishment back then. Was not just you know it's, you're either thrown into a fire, or you're thrown to animals to to eat you. You know, I mean, obviously we're yep. seeing literally uh, Christians in in the Roman Empire you know, in the first, first, second, third century AD being thrown to lions to be yeah. eaten, except they just made a big spectacle out of it, you know? Yeah. The Colosseum. Yeah. Yeah. So this seems very common in the ancient world to do this to someone they're trying to kill. So I, I don't, I don't see a problem with that at all, but Absolutely. I do know Absolutely. that there is issues with, you know, Judaism wants to reject Daniel and want to reject the bell and the dragon because it validates Daniel with the prophet Habakkuk. And that's, that's what I love is what we're seeing here in these, these final passages here. So, um, yeah, do you, uh, do so, you want to take the last part or I'm sorry, did you have more to comment? No, no, that's fine. I can take the last part there. And Daniel said, you have remembered me, O God. Neither have you forsaken them that seek you and love you. So Daniel arose and did eat. And the angel of the Lord set Habakkuk in his own place again, immediately upon the seventh day, the King went to bewail Daniel. And when he came to the den, he looked in and behold, Daniel was sitting. Then cried the king with a loud voice, saying, Great are great art Lord, sorry, great are you, Yahweh God of Daniel, and there is none other beside you. And he drew him out and cast those that were the cause of his destruction into the den, and they were devoured in a moment before his face. Hmm. Now, Sean, just to what we were saying, I, I don't know why Cyrus didn't just throw them in initially before having to acquiesce to the the pressures that were upon him to, to get rid of Daniel, but I, through his ferve and through the this experience, he obviously mustered the courage to say, "Yeah, and you guys go and uh, 
it's in like manner to how Darius responded too, right? He was waiting, hoping right. that Daniel would come out alive, and sure enough, he did. And those who who uh, were against Daniel in the beginning, they mm -hmm. were they were replaced. Yeah, the the antagonism during the days of Darius towards Daniel, it wasn't through just sheer force of threat. It was actually a legal entrapment that they did through a decree that they got Darius to sign about them worshiping this tall statue of gold idol to Baal. Whereas this is a totally different circumstance. This is just simple forceful manipulation by whoever these Babylonians are. And this to me strikes a huge red flag of imperialism that's happening as, you know, Cyrus has taken over because, it, you know, the father allowed him to be victorious in battle over these different places. But at the same time, you clearly see there's other international political actors that apparently have the, the sway with Cyrus, even though he's now king over all the provinces of Babylon from within the actual city of Babylon, because I don't think Cyrus actually was there uh, from my understanding. So from, from when, from these Babylonians, wherever they came from, if, even if they just came from the city of Babylon there, they have some sort of political sway and force of threat to actually Cyrus to, to, uh, you know, acquiesce to this ridiculous uh, command and accusation. Cause that's mm -hmm. really what it's, what's bowing down to is it's an accusation against Cyrus that he's, you know, um, he's abandoning the religion of Babylon and he's going towards the religion of, of the Israelites. And so therefore they're wanting to you either you will kill you or you give up this, this dude that's influencing you towards this Daniel, you let us kill him. Yeah. So it's, it's really unique to me because to me, it, it, from a political standpoint, it would make you say, okay, so Cyrus himself, he feels beholden to people beyond his own kingdom. And that is, Guys, this is what Revelation talks about. The kings of the earth that rule the world, the ones that have to stand before Yeshua. You know, so this is like a huge power play here with a guy that supposedly rules the biggest empire in the entire world at the time. And he's still making the stupid decision out of fear towards these random guys that show up and causes Daniel to be thrown to the lions a second time. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. A, that's a good thing to know. Absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, getting back to the texture, it's... Uh... It's interesting how as soon as Daniel eats up the pottage or whatever, it says that the angel of the Lord sets Habakkuk back in his own place immediately. So I'm thinking kind of like the movie X-Men where who's that who's that blue character who can just like vanish? Boom, boom. He can grab someone and then boom, like bring him to another location in the in the snap of a finger type thing. Yeah, his uh, um, it's not Azazel, but it's a uh, Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a yeah. character named Azazel in X-Men? Yeah. No way. Okay. He's 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 supposed to be Nightcrawler's dad through some other some other mutant, and he's actually red with a pointed tail. Looks like a looks like a devil, classical Catholic devil from the mid mid you know twelfth century. Of course, of course. Yeah. But, so uh, this yeah. is a uh, there's this right here, guys, is just why we. This is the benefit of reviewing these books. Okay. Now on the left hand side here, I don't know if this is truly what Habakkuk looks like or not. But this was a statue that was done by Donatello, the famous Donatello of the prophet Habakkuk. So this is this this Habakkuk character, for some reason, has drawn the attention of people in the Catholic Church, uh, Judaism. They approve of him. They like him. Even Islam has their own mosque in Iran that they claim is the actual burial place of Habakkuk. Of course, the you know the Jews claim differently, but. But it's even drawn the attention of artists during the Renaissance, like Donatello, who actually decided to make. And he's bald for some reason. I don't know if that's true. I don't know. I don't think they had an actual photograph of Habakkuk to go off of. 
Well, just, at least, at least not in this book, because he had hair to grab on, apparently. So right, right. So this is just like a whatever Donatello's idea of trying to draw up Habakkuk, but it's actually still on display in a museum in Florence. But the the reason why we're going through this book, guys, and the reason why it's so important to to study and test some of these books that have been taken and hidden or removed from our canon, not only because we we found some interesting nuggets today, Ken, we realized that Daniel was an actual priest. We realized that he was in the same generation of Habakkuk, which are two things that Judaism would like to deny mm -hmm. because they don't want you to take seriously the book of Daniel as actual prophecy because it talks about the son of man, the Messiah, Yeshua of Nazareth. You yeah. see what I mean? So of course they want to, they want to, um, minimize or diminish any prophet that spoke truth about the coming son of God who fulfilled his role. But here I'm going to read on screen what we have. This is what the actual, uh, a rabbi from 1948, his name was uh, SM Lehman or Lehrman. And uh, he wrote a book called the 12 prophets. And this was his commentary on Habakkuk. And this is from Judaism. Okay. So this is, this is not from Catholicism or from, uh, from any other, this is just from Judaism and their opinion on what they thought about Habakkuk himself. Um, and so this is kind of interesting. It says, because the book of Habakkuk consists of five oracles about the Chaldeans, which the Babylonians and the Chaldean rise to power is dated in circa 612 BC. It's assumed he was active about that time, making him an early contemporary of Jeremiah and Zephaniah. But guys, we, we know now that that's may not be true because he's alive some 70 something years later during the days of Daniel. So if he was a contemporary with Jeremiah, he was a very young boy when Jeremiah went into exile. Okay. Mm -hmm. So then he goes, Jewish sources, however, do not group him with those two prophets who are often good placed together. So it's possible that he was slightly earlier, not later during the days of Daniel, but they, they would think that he's earlier than these prophets because the final chapter of his book is a song. And it sometimes assumes that he was a member of the tribe of Levi, which the bell and the dragon directly tells us in the Septuagint, he was a tribe of Levi, mm -hmm. which served as musicians in Solomon's temple. So they got this guy dated way back before the actual time period that we're seeing Bell and the Dragon directly connect him to the reign of Cyrus and Daniel, which is also you know 15 to 20 years after um, the, the institution of the rebuilding of the temple uh, in, in the days of Ezra. So like that whole generation, like we we don't have to speculate is all I'm trying to say, Ken. Yeah. Like if we if we just listen to Judaism because they're trying to ignore the priesthood because that's what they do because they don't want you to understand Yeshua. They ignore Daniel. They ignore Habakkuk's true origins and his true timeline, which is given to us in all these other books with which much much clarity. Mm -hmm. But this is what this is the problem of a false religion that denies the word of Yahweh because they deny the Son of Yahweh, which is Yeshua of Nazareth. This is the links they have to go to of their own history, their own prophets, to ignore the truth. So I, I'm going to get off the soapbox. I apologize. No, I no, just, no. It just gets me riled up. It's frustrating. It's frustrating, especially for someone who wants to comprehend the word of God and you have people over time messing with texts and, you know, promoting other narratives that that support their own uh, agendas, essentially. And, you know, it, it's just rough because when you come out of mainstream Christian theology and, and you try to search the scriptures to understand, you know, the commandments are true. Uh, understanding, you know, the priesthood of Yeshua, better understanding the role as it pertains to the law. People tend to lean towards Judaism for help with that regard, right? Because they assume that they have a long, rich history uh, of of upholding the law of God because they claim to have done that as early on as we and we see in in you know the New Testament where they they claim to obey the, the law of God even though Yeshua says otherwise. So we just assume that even though they were flawed, 
they still upheld the law of God and they still had the best interests of his word uh, to be preserved and to be taught throughout time, right? That's not true. All right. We're seeing more and more. This is not a true narrative. And in fact, it's the complete opposite to this. They have their own agenda, which is to usurp the priesthood uh, mentality of what the scriptures say and how it was always prophesied to go to Yeshua and anything that directly links that to Yeshua, they need to get rid of that. And, we, and this is right. what's fascinating about Bell and the Dragon is we have Daniel, who was apparently a priest, calling out a false priesthood mm -hmm. and, and Cyrus has to deal with them. And, and so it, <laughs> it's very possible that the very priests that usurped, uh, you know, the Zadokite priests in the first, by the first century, they come who, from who a came, lineage of these very individuals. Yeah. Cause they came from Babylon. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So you would have to get rid of stuff like that. That points to any, any tinkering of the priesthood. And, and you've done an amazing job um, over the last several months pointing that out for people. And I, I hope that it starts to pick up. A more of a following in their understanding and people start researching that more that judaism is not what it it yeah. promotes itself as it really isn't so yeah yeah it's <laughs> brood of vipers brother brood of vipers that's yeah. the kind of people that look you in the face and tell you that you need to keep the commandments while they don't keep the commandments but then they redefine what the commandments are causing you yeah. to do their traditions which only nullifies you actually keeping the commandments yeah. which causes you to lose the love in your heart that you're supposed to get because of doing the commandments truthfully and honestly and purely righteously. So this is, it is the religious demon demonic spirit in its most, you know, uh, yeah. final form, right? It is uh, over 9,000. <laughs> yeah. It's way up there and it's, yeah. it's so sad. So I don't know. Anyways, guys. So I guess what you've, you've come to understand here by the end of this episode is that Sean and I give this book a thumbs up. Okay. It was in the earliest manuscripts of the Greek Septuagint. It's in other canons around the world, including the Catholic canon, the Eastern Orthodox canon, the Syrian Syriac canon. And um, it lines up fine. There's yeah. no contradictions here. It only upholds Yahweh as the true God. It, it It's historically validated and we've already laid out why we think that it would have been removed and ho yeah. hopefully that was compelling and, and and it's driven you guys enough to do your own type of research on it to see whether or not you you would you know see where we're coming from but i give it a thumbs up and i'm calling the scripture yeah absolutely in fact uh like like i show on the screen here it actually used to be included in the original greek septuagint as um at the end of daniel you know so it, it would, they considered it a companion piece to Daniel. So that to me, it's like, you know, the current Bible we have, Ken, it, it's all jacked up. Let me, let me just put this on screen real quick and show folks what I mean when I say that, like, look at the cut, the collection of these books, right? Look at here, like Daniel's right here. Where's Habakkuk? Right. So none of the books, it's way down here, right? Mm -hmm. Did you guys know Zacharias in the days of Isaiah? Did you guys know that Amos? He was the father of Isaiah, but yet he's, He's too like you would think the, the this is the problem when they reorganize the actual books in the Bible and your mind wants to think that they're already automatically chronological but they're not they're not at all at all like Ezra is way up here I know and you're like <laughs> I know. and Ezekiel if you've studied yeah. Ezekiel if you know that even just the chapters themselves are way out of whack yeah 
Yeah. So like they've, there's been some tinkering and just even something as simple as this is like how they're actually collated in, in the binding of a book they call a Bible can lead you astray in thinking that, you know, Job, you know, literally chronologically is before Genesis I know. Or, or would be actually, uh, if you were to chronologically put Job into Genesis, it would go in chapter 36. Yeah. It would like, be but but nobody book. knows that. Yeah. And we're going to cover that guys. We're going to cover aspects of the book of Job and, and the comparisons between the Masoretic text and the Septuagint. There's there's vast differences that that are very fascinating. I think you'd be interested in seeing us lay out for you. And then it's actually linked to another book that was removed that we're going to um, link it to. So be mindful of future episodes of Honor Kings where we do exactly what you've seen us do and hopefully it inspires you to do some of your own research as well. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, if you have any questions right now, we'll take a couple of questions. Uh, be sure to, if you put them in the live chat, make sure they're in all capitalization so the moderators and Ken and I can see them easily and so you, you don't get missed. But we'll be glad to answer a couple of questions if you have any uh, at this time. But Ken, I, I like this book. Um, I'm really sad that this book wasn't included you know, in my Bible growing up because it would have helped me as I'm studying scripture piece together that, oh, wait, okay, so Ezra, Esther, Daniel, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, um, all these guys are, they're in the same, they're like, you know, they're, they're the same. Yeah, yeah. They're the same group of people. You know what I would love to do is I would love to have an artist, um, in the future and I have money like to have an artist rendition of like someone to draw me a, a class photo of these guys, you know, and it'd be like the, the sixth century class photo of all these dudes. <laughs> and then draw like, draw like, you know, like the, you know, uh, 40, 4,600, B BC century class photo. And it's like, you know, Jared and Methuselah and Noah and Shem, Shem's like a little kid. And you know what I'm saying? Like, like the pre-flood class of guys, you know, and have them all standing up, like with their arms around each yeah. other, like, and then like each, and then go down to, to Abraham's generation and have like Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and Selah and Peleg and like, ask, you know, all these guys that were still alive at the same time. That would be so cool to have like class photos of all these dudes in scripture, just all like hanging out and smiling. And that'd be great. Uh I like where your imagination goes, Sean. Yeah. They're very unique. Yeah. Very just to help people categorize, to understand, like, no, you know, very rarely do people study the middle of the Bible, you know, and, it, know. and it really is a huge disadvantage because like I just showed you, you look at the, the, how the books are organized in the Bible and people get completely confused with the timeline. Mm -hmm. Now there are chronological Bibles out there, um, but they're super expensive and uh, they're, they're like three times as much as a regular Bible. And, you know, it's um, to me, like they're not like they, the one that I used to, um, I didn't have it, but it was a friend of mine had one. It had like four different Bibles in one. And then the back of it was a chronological Bible and it was like $200, you know, so the average mm -hmm. person is not going to buy that. And it and even going through the back of it, they didn't know that Ezra and Daniel were, and, and Habakkuk could have been contemporaries. You yep. see what I mean? So yep. like it. So anyway, the point is, like, maybe in the future, if I have more time, I got to do it. You got to have a couple people who who've devoted their lives to studying this stuff hardcore in, yeah. in order to to make up such a uh, you know a, a proper timeline and a proper order of books. And you have to have the, the right amount of books in there too, right? Yeah. So uh, we got a question here from Christy B. Sean, do you see it in the in the chat there? This one here says, "Yeah, timeline of the order of books." Yeah. No, we don't. I don't. I I no. I haven't taking the time to do that this is i mean i mean that's and we i have an extensive list I mean, we were just talking yeah. about it we would we would love to one day have something like that available for people to, to have so 
lots of yeah. things that we, we have for the future y'all willing that we can work on to provide you know the body of believers out there so so they can be better you know in their understanding of, of the chronology and all this stuff that we just talked about and ken if we did something like that you know like i joked about earlier with job and genesis the problems you run into is some books cover large time periods that other books are included inside of mm -hmm. so like genesis covers from creation all the way up to uh the exodus to to moses you know to the Jacob and, and the boys going down to Goshen. So, you know, you've got like, if you're covering the book of Job, which would have been, a, you know, in chapter 36 of Genesis, but yet chapter 36 of Genesis skips forward in the timeline to talk about the Edomite Kings. But and you don't know that unless you actually do a lot of diligent research, like we've yep. done over the years yep. to realize that Genesis 36 is skipping way forward in the timeline to explain all this stuff and in, in, in quick summary. And then Genesis 37 skips back to, you know, picking up with the story of Joseph and all that. So it's just like, if you did create a chronological timeline book, it would look so different than anything anyone's ever seen. It would be chopped up. It would yeah. be chopped up and parceled out in a way that it would make sense for a timeline. And so yeah. I, I could already hear like, you know, you guys are blasphemous for chopping yeah. this up and doing this and that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's a need to have that type of a resource for people to see how things are laid out in that timeline. And, and yeah. I mean, like books like the Testament of the whole patriarch, Sean, Right. We, right. We, we could slot that right into the end of Genesis where we right. all of a sudden we're right here in Exodus where there's this random transition that we see. Like, what about in the lives of these brothers? You know, like, right. They have nothing to say. They did. We could slot that right in between the end of Genesis and Exodus. Right. The same thing with Jubilees 48 through 50, right at the end of Genesis, you know. Yeah. And but the average person would not would not do well with that. <laughs> But, and would. we're not we're not catering to the average person either just so you guys know sean and i are yeah. we're not bought out to to you know to whatever people want us to be doing we're not out here to tickle ears and please people necessarily but clearly have you seen our, our channels <laughs> i don't see any other questions in the chat sean um oh um, no there is one joy true halo sorry sister if i didn't pronounce your your last name there is, properly. Is it this one here yeah but uh, <laughs> of course she's going to ask this question yeah, I think Sean and I have both come to the conclusion that while this book is very fascinating and we do want to eventually cover some of the material in it, it's so big. It's so big. And there's controversy regarding the modern version of Jasher that we, we've found that there's some there's some contradictions in it. Um, but we know there's a lot of people in several ministries that are near to dear to our heart that love that book. So we don't want to offend people. But at the same time, we want to present something that is rather unbiased, but it's so it's just such a huge topic that we're we're procrastinating with this one, sister. Honestly, just wish it it, it was hundred percent legit. We just we found issues with it, which is why we haven't brought it up. Although, as Sean has said, and I've said in the times past, like there's some fascinating history in it that would we would love for it to be legitimate. Yeah, it's it's got good and bad in it. So we're definitely we we have planned to cover it. We just haven't definitively said when we're going to cover it. But we do. We Ken and I talked about this um, before the season that we did want to uh, at least dip our toes into it in season three of Honor of Kings. So yeah. But hey, think about how many people we ticked off just with episode one and two this year, Ken. Why don't we just keep it keep it going? We just keep making everybody mad. <laughs> I know it doesn't matter what you do. It really doesn't. There's always going to be people who just oppose what you say and, and that's fine. That's fine. As long as we're, 
loving each other in the process in our opposition. That's that's the best way to approach these things, in my opinion. It's when we go out slandering and and yelling and calling names that things get messy and we're not portraying Yeshua in our lives in that manner. So, yeah, we're all trying, guys. We're all trying. We're 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 in troublesome days and we're we're just trying to sift through the truth here right through mounds and mounds of lies so hopefully there's grace i know the father's got tons of grace for us in these days knowing the, how far away we are from well from yeshua himself um to the all the deception that's going on in the world i mean he's he's being merciful with us and i will be the first one to admit i could be wrong on on the things that i teach uh, i really hope i'm not but um, this is why we, as part of our due diligence, we we study, we sharpen, we we run things by people who have studied for quite some time and and who have clear giftings that the Father has provided, uh, so that we can come to the conclusions that we think we can teach on. So I know for myself, and I don't know about you, Sean, but I will be I'll be the first to admit I could be wrong with some stuff, and I, I'm willing to change if there's compelling evidence and arguments against something. Um, and yeah, I mean, the book of Jasher is is a great topic about whether or not I could be right or wrong about it. But from what I can tell, it's just one of those books that doesn't line up, unfortunately. Well, I just want to encourage you, uh, Brother Ken. I've watched your stuff. I've been studying with you since 2015 behind the scenes. People that we're doing this live together that, you know, people get to watch us. But we've been doing this not on camera just through social media and, you know, and messaging each other for five years now and how we sharpen and we interact. Um, we sometimes do it on video conference, right? So like we're, we put our time in and the stuff that you've taught, like to me, it has an abundance of scriptural evidence to what you're saying. So to me, like it's, you haven't, you have, it seems strange to the world because the world wants to indoctrinate you to not believe the Bible, but everything that you've taught from the Bible, from your videos, I've, I 100% see 100% case for in the scriptures with lots of scriptural validation from multiple angles, which is why I'm proud to be doing a show like this with you, brother. I think you're very thorough and well-studied and you definitely take your time. Uh, we have a quick question here from um, from Scott McVicker. He's asking us to explain Ephesians 2, 14 through 16. And I actually have it on screen here for us. Let me put it up for everybody to see. And I just want to encourage you, Scott, this is super easy to understand. It's all about the resurrection, brother. Okay. Mm -hmm. He is our peace. Yeshua is our peace who has made both one who's broken down the middle wall partition between us, which is our flesh, the flesh of unity, having abolished in his flesh, the enmity and that, and how he abolishes that in his flesh is because he did not sin. He went through the, what was prophesied of him to be, you know, falsely accused, murdered on the cross. He was in the heart of the earth three days, three nights. He's risen from the dead, given a glorified and corruptible body, ascends to the right hand of the Father to, as Hebrews chapter 8, 1 through 5 tells us, to, to go to his priesthood position, which was what was prophesied of him. So this is how he is now in a position to abolish the enmity that is in the flesh. And so, so he does this by his flesh. And this is the metaphoric language that's being used because obviously the father doesn't accept an actual human sacrifice. He was murdered on a cross. He was not sacrificed at the hand of a Levite priest on an altar inside the temple. Mm -hmm. so this is, this is a meta metaphoric language to explain his death, which his death led him to his priesthood, which is where he is now, 1 Timothy 2, 5, Hebrews 5, 7 through 10. He stands before the father on our behalf to make atonement for us. And what's prophesied of him on the day of the Lord is that he will call our names out before the father and the angels and raise us to eternal life. This is the promise of the covenant. This is how Ezekiel 37 explains that we are made at peace with the father. 
So this enmity that we are at with the Father currently in our fleshly bodies is because we do actually break the law and commandments and in the ordinances that are that are in the Father's Word, right? This is Romans 3.23, all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God, which is why we actually need a high priest to make atonement for us. This is what Yeshua does for us. And so therefore, to make himself of, of twain, of two things, he makes one new man. This happens at the resurrection. So making peace, that's the promise of the covenant that is fulfilled at our resurrection, so that he, Yeshua, might reconcile both unto God in one body, by the cross. So through what Yeshua's self-sacrifice did to go through what was prophesied of him to get to that priesthood position, he now can reconcile us to God and thereby slain the enmity. He's there, you know, this is all metaphoric language. And if you don't understand what's prophesied of Yeshua getting to his priesthood, then this is where we encourage folks to study the book of Leviticus and Numbers to understand the priesthood. Then, then you can better understand Psalm 110, 1 through 4, and Zechariah 6, 11 through 15. You can understand Yeshua's own words in John chapter 5. And then you can also understand the entire book of Hebrews, which tries to help explain to us how Yeshua fulfills this priesthood that was prophesied of him and makes atonement for us to help resurrect us on the day of the Lord, which is what the latter chapters of Hebrews goes into, because that's how we get into the kingdom that's promised to us. So that's all this is talking about. And this is what Paul is, like I've said before, Paul is at a PhD level of, of the law and the prophets. He knows the law and the prophets better than all of us. So the reason why we struggle so much with how he words stuff with metaphors and similes and analogies is because we don't know the law and the prophets very well. And I'm not saying that as a slant towards you. I'm saying a general capacity. So this is why it's our job to know the law and the prophets so that stuff like this is super easy to understand. Um, so that's hopefully, brother, that's a good answer for you. And hopefully that, that helps you. Great answer. Great answer. And unfortunately, the anti-Paul crowd, they just, they don't get the promises of the covenant. They don't understand what what it's truly pointing towards. And if they if, if they just understood it, then they would see how incredibly brilliant Paul was, you know. Yep. So Ken, do you want, the, you want a question? Yeah. What do we got here? Miss Latoya Christie. Ephesians 6.12, that's the principalities, powers, right? Yeah. Free wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. My opinion, this is talking about... Okay, well, the, the against principalities thing is is interesting because there's a book. It's Is it one of the 12... Testament of the 12 Patriarchs, Sean, that talks about the principalities being a genre of angel that's in yeah. a firmament layer just below where the father resides yeah i believe it's testament of levi yeah yeah so what what i've come to understand this to mean is is that we don't wrestle even though we do physically wrestle with other human beings the true war that we're we're experiencing here is against the demonic forces the unclean spirits those that are that are um manipulating flesh and blood to uh, go about doing Hasatan, Azazel, Mastema's agenda. And that's to destroy, to kill, seek, and destroy, and to create confusion, and to do everything that's in opposition to the Father and His kingdom. And so we're fighting against these entities. And unfortunately, there are flesh and blood host bodies for these entities to do their bidding through, even though it looks like we're fighting each other, which physically we are, but spiritually we're not. So that's just Paul saying, hey, guys, like 
this is this this is the devil and this is how he's operated since the very beginning he's, he's constantly trying to oppose us and do everything he can within his will within what the fathers allowed him to do to exercise his will on mankind and this is how he does it and i think this is a really cool question uh ken because of we just reviewed bell and the dragon where we see daniel actually you know he you realize that you know he's he's wrestling against rulers of darkness of this world what do we talk about about these these unnamed characters from babylon that come over after they hear that the the priests of Baal have been uh, lost this challenge basically and were killed as a result of this because they proved that Baal was not a true god and also you see later that this dragon they're worshiping he wasn't a true god either mm -hmm. you know and so i think this is fascinating because you actually see that you know these these rulers of darkness is spiritual witness high places like i said in my commentary of that of that concept of the bell of the dragon that these are these uh, these nameless characters that come over that even Cyrus is afraid of because there is a group of people as scripture tells us that rules the world even the kings of nations they they take orders and they are afraid of them and so this is where you know you those are people that are if they are true flesh and blood they're beholden to the unclean spirits that guide them this is what we see not just you know in Luke chapter 4 when when Mastima when Satan he has the opportunity to actually take Yeshua to this really high mountain and show him all the kingdoms of the world at once. And he's like, I'll give you all these kingdoms if you but bow down to me. So he's telling you right mm -hmm. there, like, and that's a principality. That's Yeshua, Yeshua is looking at a principality in that moment. Who's a, a rebellious angel. So like, this is, th this is the same concept of this, the wickedness of these people, the, the rulers of darkness and principalities um, that, that we have to deal with. And, and of course, did Yeshua just pull out a sword and try swinging at Satan? No. He's like, he just quoted the word of God. I am said, get away from me. And he did. So to me, I think it's super fitting. I love your answer, Ken. And I think it's super fitting that Paul would include the rest of this information here, which is about our obedience to the word of God. Yes. That, that prepares us for this battle to be able to withstand temptation, to not be fooled, and to know when to take our authority over the unclean spirits as Yeshua instructed us to do. And this is a part of, you know, it's, it's kind of a metaphoric way of explaining that, you know, that we girt your loins with the truth and have the breastplate of righteousness on, right? Uh, your feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Like th these are all, and you know, little callbacks to the law of God, you know. And other apocryphal books, because I believe yeah. that he's actually referring, I think it's the book of Ezra. Second Ezra is where it talks about things just like this, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Amen. We're to equip ourselves with this, uh, and that's how we combat the enemy. That's yeah. how we do it. And the fiery, and, the fiery darts, you know, of the wicked. Exactly. In the book of Revelation, John also talks about how unclean spirits go out from into the world, and they they gather the kings, right? And so they have mass influence all throughout time, and even specifically in the end, where where these kings gather themselves to to fight essentially against Yeshua when he comes because it's it's the great battle of the day of the Lord. So yep. these are these same entities that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6. Yep, 100%, man. So we've got we got Latoya Christie asking what is the best sefer? Um I am assuming you're referring to the best translation of the Et sefer because I know uh Dr. Pigeon has has done several revisions to that. Uh, I don't know. I have the first one. I have the first one. And so I'm not sure. I'm not familiar with what he's all done. I know he's, he's changed a few things up and added some books to other versions, but uh, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not qualified to answer that properly. Sorry. Yeah, me neither. I apologize. <laughs> um, okay. Looks like Stephen Schofield's asking, um, 
via Latoya, who is the who is they that ordered the king to throw Daniel to the lions? That's what we were just saying as we reviewed the text. It doesn't name them. We don't know. There's just these mysterious characters from Babylon that come over that clearly have influence over Cyrus, and he's scared of them. So yeah. this is what I was talking about. How you know the Book of Enoch, Book of Revelation, uh, talks about the kings of the world that they rule the earth and they give their authority. Uh, they they are underneath the authority of Satan, as we see this happen in a succession of agency from Revelation 13 to Revelation 16. But this is that that would be my guess. It doesn't specifically name them, but whoever they were, they had incredible influence on Cyrus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us this evening for another episode of Honor of Kings. It's been a pleasure to have done this book with Sean on screen. We hope that you guys enjoyed it and that it inspires you to go out and do your own searching. Um, like I've said before, if you wouldn't mind hitting the like or thumbs down, whatever you want to do on this video, that'd be great. Uh, leave comments if you guys would like to and uh, subscribe. Subscribe is one of the big ones, if you don't mind. Also, do this to Sean yeah. if you haven't already done so. I know a lot of you guys are kind of from his channel, have come to my channel. So I, I, there might not be many of you who are unfamiliar with Sean. But if you're not, go over to Kingdom Context on YouTube and subscribe to him. He's got other, other channels that are worthy of looking into as well. Kingdom Cast, New Jerusalem Media. And head over to Facebook and type in Lighthouse. This, this is a... a awesome platform a social media platform that is hopefully going to take the world by storm in these perilous days of censorship and banning and the lack of free speech that we're seeing in, in some of these platforms sean what what's yeah. lighthouse here yeah basically this is a group that we created but before the actual website launches okay this is the this is the hype group, if you will. All right. This is a place where we get to do pre-launch marketing. And so the idea is that there's a lot of posts in here that just help you understand what the benefit of Lighthouse would be. And this is an actual interview I just recently did uh, on another channel explaining what Lighthouse is going to be. But also we have you know posts explaining the difference between the censorship that goes on with Twitter, Etsy, Facebook, and YouTube, um, and all these other platforms that do not like Christian content. They don't like religious content. They don't like uh, conservative content. So they are very much of a, of a specific agenda. And this, this group is actually bringing to, to people's awareness why Lighthouse will be so different, right? Because it's going to be the best of all these other platforms. Guys, the three eyes represent video, social media, and marketplace all in the same platform. So imagine the best of YouTube, the best of Facebook, the best of Etsy, where you get to sell stuff and products, uh, all integrated into one platform with no censorship and free speech. That's the, that is what we've been working on for pretty much almost a year now. So, because we had our first meeting with the investors back like October 6th of last year. So like it's been almost a full year now. And, um, I've been consulting on this for its development design and, and for how content creators can collaborate with each other with free marketing tools. So Ken, it's going to be amazing brother. Cause imagine in the future, like we're doing that, we're doing season three on your channel right now on honor of Kings. Right. So that means mm -hmm. that I had to go make a notification on my channel that we were doing this so that my subscribers who aren't subscribed to you could be aware that I'm going to be over here doing this with you, right? To right. bring to bring this this audience to your channel as well. But with Lighthouse, when we organize setting up the video together, we can actually behind the scenes as content creators, we can connect our channels together so that when we get ready, no matter whose channel we do on our Kings on, notifications will go out to both of our audiences at the same time. So it'll help your channel grow 
and my channel grow at the same time. We get to share audiences since they have similar, you know, similar viewership. And so this is just one little way. We have like 17 other ways that people can grow for free, free marketing tools. Um, this to help content creators get the truth out there and grow without censorship, without worrying about keywords that would strike their video or demonetize it and take it down. Like all the YouTubers are constantly worried about all the nonsense. So it's going to be able people to go back to the growth of just or the freedom of just growing again based on are they putting out quality content or not? Yeah. We're super excited to bring it to the people and they're getting very close to a launch date. It's still in final production. Go over to Lighthouse on Facebook, sign up for the group so you can be aware when they are ready to launch and help us share the posts inside the group so that you can then um, we can gather more people to be aware. We hope in the next um, few weeks to get this up to like 15 or 20,000 people um, so that we can actually start having that, that, you know, grassroots spread the word so that when it actually launches, there's people there. That's the yeah. goal, right? Because yeah. that that's all these new social medias that keep popping up. That's their biggest problem is that people want to go over there, but they don't know how to find their friends there because their friends aren't there yet. So then they just go back to Facebook and have to deal with all the censorship and the BS being prop, you know, forced into their feed. And every every fifth post on on Facebook is a is an ad in your face, and sometimes it's highly inappropriate ads. Mm -hmm. So like, you're, there's none that can be any of that nonsense on Lighthouse. So we figured out a better way, and we'll be happy to bring it to everybody. So come support it, get the word out. It's going to be launching soon. I can't wait. I have a personal interest as a content creator in this type of a platform. So the sooner it gets out, the better. So. Yeah. Be looking for it, brothers and sisters. We've got Mary W saying, I'm allergic to Facebook. Well, I understand. I understand that. And trust me, Lighthouse, you're going to be allergy-free experience on that platform. Steven Schofield says, I want it now. <laughs> I get you, brother. We we want this thing to be launched. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot that goes into doing something like this. A lot of legalities behind it, too. So yeah. we're all looking forward to it but the best thing that you can do right now is just tell people about it spread the word the best that you can let's get the movement going yeah which is why i all the posts inside that group where it's a it's a public group okay so anyone can come in and read the posts and share them uh, and you can join the group too but if you share it it goes into algorithm feeds outside of the suppression and the censorship because it gets into your your algorithms so that's the point of all the you know encouraging people to share all the posts in the group so that's just going to how we're going to have to get around because if we just started advertising on Facebook to, as an as a competitor, how long do you guys think that would last? <laughs> Not very long. As soon as they start catching on, what's going on there? Yeah, right. So help us with the grassroots movement. Go join the group. Share the content if you like it, and uh, that's the easiest way you can do that. Yeah, awesome. Well, this has been awesome, brother. I appreciate doing this with you and i look forward to y'all willing another episode next week and y'all willing we'll see you brothers and sisters next week as well thank you so much for watching episode six of honor of kings thanks guys My name is Ken Heidebrook. My heart's desire here at Hanging On His Words is to spread the entirety of the gospel message to whoever will hear it, and to serve my Creator by helping people learn how to be obediently in covenant with Him. Hanging On His Words is a ministry that not only teaches others how to run this faith race, but does so through compelling video and musical content. If you are someone that has personally been blessed by my music or video teachings or both, Please consider contributing to my efforts. My goals are to step up my music and video production value, and more importantly, 
to create content on a more frequent and full-time basis. This is where you, you, yes, you, my patrons can make this possible. Whether your support is financial or through prayers and encouragement, I just wanted to say thank you very much.